Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Well, hey, what's up, guys? Good morning. Good morning, online people at home. Wish you guys were here. Hey, if we haven't met yet, my name is Brandon, and I'd love to have you over to my house. So what are you guys doing after church today? Just joking. We should probably talk afterwards about that. But uh, let's pretend that you come to my house, and you come in through the front door, and I give you a warm handshake or a hug, and we're, we come into the front door, and there's the foyer first, and then the hallway, and then there's a little music room, and then a big, pretty big playroom. And then you come through one more door into my living room, and this is kind of the inner sanctum of my home. This is where the living happens. So we're in, we're in there. I'll just describe it to you. We've got a nice rug. It's a pretty nice rug. We've got a, we've got a couple couches, pictures of my family on the wall. Uh, see a, a couple chairs here, TV, coffee table. And I invite you to have a seat, and I offer you a cup of coffee or a cup of water because I'm super polite. And we just get to talking. We're just having a nice time, a nice conversation. And, and we've been talking for a while, and the subject kind of comes around to me. And you ask, Brandon, how are you doing? Really? And you're a good friend. You put the pause in there between how are you doing and really. You say, Brandon, how are you doing? Really. And, I, and I, I feel at this point comfortable in the conversation to open up a little bit more and let the guard down a little bit and tell you, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm not doing so great. It's been a hard season. And yeah, it's like, a, it's like a lot of little things. But there's also a couple pretty big things. And I think one of the big things lately has been work. Um, my job is here at the church. I'm a, I'm a pastor full-time here at the church. I'm responsible for a lot of the service that we're inside of right now. Um, so submit your notes to me, uh, Brandon at Fierce Net Church. Just so. But that's my job is, is really kind of full-time pastor here. And it's been really heavy lately. And I, and I think what sums it up is this journal entry. Let me, let me read you from my journal. Again, the, reading my journal on stage is like one of my greatest nightmares. But here we are realizing it together. Uh, but we're in, remember, we're, we're in my living room now. And I'm disclosing to you some of my inner thoughts here. Uh, this is a journal entry of mine from August 2020. So this is two years ago. It says, I've begun to associate ministry as making my life suck. So the program doesn't suck. This program, the service that we're inside of. I can't hear the message from my boss, Pastor Carter. He would say, break what needs to break and get away. He would say, we want this, this thing that you're working on, to get worse for you to get better. He's a great boss, but I couldn't hear that message. I said, that message is at odds with what I've known to be true about ministry. It's not on the surface of it, I don't think, at least a works-based faith or even a spirit of excellence and the wicked pride that might go with it. It's not saying, I can't pass this off because they won't do it as well. I would be happy to see them do a less good job, probably, kind of. It's more so that the DNA of this thing that I've been working on is that I suffer so this succeeds. So when the question is, you know, if Mark came to me and said, hey, how hard is it to add, how hard is it to X, how hard is it to add this element to the service or to, you know, invent this creative solution to whatever problem, instantly I, I hear how hard to, and I think, well, I'll live, so pile it on. Um, I think that my experience is supposed to suck. We grind, we go hard, we get it done, and we do it 1% better next time. We bring it further and make it better. But with no consideration for the cost, it drives us to madness. We're supposed to carry a cross for Christ and suffer for Christ. 
But this martyrdom over the program, method, excellence of this man-made platform is lunacy. It's not suffering for Christ. It's just vanity and failing to count the cost and pile on more and more pressure and more work, no matter the health cost, is madness. So that's how I'm, I don't know, that's how I'm doing. Do you, I don't know, do you think I'm crazy? And you, le- you lean forward and you say, Brandon, sucks to be you. No, you, <laughs> you're a good friend again. So, so you don't say that. You try and relate to anything in there that you can relate to. Maybe you don't work at a church and, and relate to the program or, or anything like that. But maybe there's something else at your job that you really work on and, and you, you take on the full load of like all the pressure of the world on your chest trying to carry this thing like I was doing. As I read that, it sounds a little dramatic to me today. It probably sounds a little dramatic to you. The title of it is the most embarrassing part, <laughs> but we're already, we're already in the deep end, so I'll just share it with you. I don't normally title my journal entries, just so you know, but the title of this one, I don't know why I titled it, is Memoirs of This Crappy Season. <laughs> <laughs> Like I was writing memoirs, like I was writing a book that somebody would read, memoirs of this crappy season. <laughs> um, so it sounds a little bit over the top and ridiculous, but I got to tell you, at the time, it didn't feel dramatic. That felt like about the realest thing that I could say. And as I read it, I just, I just hear, ouch. I, I read it and I see a lot of people pleasing. I see a, a savior complex, like I've got to be the one and I've got to swoop in and save the day and I've got to take care of everybody else's needs and manage everybody's expectations and manage everybody's experience. And I've got to keep these plates in the air. I've just got to keep them spinning and keep everything up and hold it all together. And if I don't do it, no one will do it. They're like a savior complex. And if you relate to any of that, you probably know that hurts. That's hard to do and it's painful and it's exhausting and it's hopeless. And if you don't relate to that, it hurts. And there's probably something else in your life that causes pain like that. And I want to ask the question today, what do we do when we're in, when we're in a, a place of despondency like that, a hopelessness? Normally, like that's a, that's a lot of complaining in a journal entry, and I'll do that. I'll, like 75% sometimes of my journal entry will be complaint. Usually it kind of resolves toward the end. This one didn't. It's just dissonance, unresolved note, end. That's all I could say. So what do we do in a season like that? We're going to look at Elijah's story. And Elijah is having a crappy season of his own, if you will. We're going to look at 1 Kings 19, and he's at a low moment, or really kind of a dark night of the soul. Um, first, we're going to look at 1 Kings 18, and I just want to catch you up to where we are in Elijah's story. So really quickly, just a quick highlight of what has happened so far. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah conducts this shootout between Baal, this demon god that Israel has been uh, rebelliously worshiping, and the Lord God Almighty. And, and, and he conducts this shootout between these two gods, and he calls down fire from heaven, it's awesome. It's like one of my favorite scenes in all of scripture. And then he, he, in a moment of zeal, he wrangles up 850 false prophets and puts them all to death with the sword himself. And then he prays seven times and ends a three-year drought. And then he runs ahead of Ahab's chariot. Ahab is the evil king of Israel, and he runs ahead of the chariot all the way home, 16 miles running ahead of the chariot. And then Ahab gets home, and he tattles on Elijah to Jezebel. Yes, the Jezebel, the evil queen Jezebel. He goes to, Ahab goes to Jezebel and says, hey, Jezebel, Elijah just killed all of your favorite prophets and all of my favorite prophets. And Jezebel issues this death threat and Elijah freaks out. Like he loses it. He completely breaks down. He malfunctions. 
And this is what happened. So in 1 Kings 19, verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Despair. Despondency. Fear. He's having, again, a dark night of the soul in this moment. But he does the smartest thing that we can possibly do right there. He prays, and he prays desperate. He prays hurting. He prays the real thing. He gets it out before the Lord, and then he falls asleep. And that's our first point. Get your suffering before the Lord. Don't fall asleep. But get your suffering before the Lord is our first point. Did you see that in verse 4? It said, I have had, it said, I have had enough. Well, I just said, Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. He's saying, I'm done. I want off. Can I be honest? I love this prayer. And not in like a morbid sense. I'm not like rejoicing that Elijah is wanting to die, like that he's, he's struggling so hard. But I love this prayer because it's honest. It's not eloquent. It's not profound. It's not polished. This is not a theological dissertation. He doesn't whitewash it or censor it. He's not speaking for the Lord, not now. He's not projecting strength or optimism into the future, telling God what God's gonna do. He's not stuffing his feelings down. He's not even presenting his needs. He's just presenting his agony before the Lord. This is vulnerable and weak. This is an ugly cry. This is a, this is a jagged piece of glass and it's beautiful, and it's messy, and it's sacred. And I've got to tell you, I've been in the privileged seat of pastoring people and counseling people who are going through deep grief and wounded suffering. I've had the privilege of sitting with people in times of prayer like that. And when they pray something like that, with that degree of emotional integrity before the Lord, it's hard to describe, but it's like the whole, the whole room changes. It's like a, a wind just blows through the room. It's like the atmosphere gets brighter and lighter when they just drop the pretense before the Lord. And they just stop trying to hold everything together and they lose their grip on life and they come apart in the Lord's presence. It's powerful and it's beautiful. And my friends, you have permission to pray like this. You must pray like this. Look, Psalm 62, eight says, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. And today I wanna reclaim an old word, the word lament. So lament is a bit of an old word. It would sound a little bit weird in just normal language. So let's, let's kind of dust it off and pull it off the shelf. What does lament mean? It means a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Lamenting is not dishonoring. It's not a lack of faith. It does not impugn God's character to tell God what hurts and to say it the raw way. When Jesus said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22.1, which says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from my suffering? Sorry, why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? He's saying, you're not even listening to me, God. You're so far from the words of my groaning. Did you know that more than one-third of the psalms are laments? More than a third. 
And so if, think of it this way. If, if 33% of your prayer life to the Lord is not lamenting to the Lord, you're out of touch with the Psalms. It's not, it's not very popular all the time to lament. It's not as much fun as celebration. James 4, 9 says, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And you hear that and you think, yeah, James sounds like a bit of a downer. I don't know if he gets invited to a whole lot of barbecues. And maybe not. But the very next verse, verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So connect those two verses now. Grieve, mourn, wail. Humble yourself before the Lord. That's how you humble yourself before the Lord is you drop the pretense and you just say, ouch, God, it hurts. I'm wounded. Grieve. And then he can lift you up. So get your suffering before the Lord. Pray this way. Abandon your pretense. Get the real hurts out before the Lord. That's what Elijah did. Because when we get our suffering before the Lord, we're met with compassion. This is super cool. So uh, the very next verse in verse 5, 1 Kings 19, verse 5, says, All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Did you notice he's not smitten down on the spot? He doesn't get stricken down and killed right away. He, he gets fed. And this is the Lord's compassion. This is the Lord showing Elijah compassion, and we know that because two times already in 1 Kings chapter 17, the Lord has miraculously fed Elijah. He's, the Lord has already miraculously provided for the utility need of sustenance in food form for Elijah. The first time was ravens flying food into Elijah. It's like the original DoorDash. Like ravens just flew food into him in the wilderness. And the second time that this happened in, in 1 Kings chapter 17 was um, a widow who had this jar of flour that never ran out. So it's miraculously provided for that he would be sustained by food. But in this case, the Lord sent an angel to build a fire while Elijah sleeps. Let him sleep. And then was patient while it burned down to coals, while he's mixing together some dough. And then he bakes some bread. And can you imagine the smell of freshly baked bread? And at that moment, he wakes up Elijah and says, hey, wake up. So he's hitting the heart need. As, as Elijah got his suffering out before the Lord, the Lord's responding with compassion. This is the affection of God. This is hospitality from the Lord. So what keeps us from getting our suffering before the Lord? I think in, in some cases it's self-deception. We tell ourselves, it's not really that bad. It is that bad. But we're, just de we're deceiving ourselves. We're super good at deceiving ourselves. Sometimes we're afraid. We think, if I don't acknowledge it, it's not real. So we, we convince ourselves that it's not real so we don't have to acknowledge some of the hurt and the suffering. Uh, sometimes we medicate our pain away. Right? We don't see any real solution to, to remove the problem, so we'll just take care of the symptom of pain. We'll medicate with things like, you know, I'll just instead of, of, of getting my suffering before the Lord, maybe I'll just down another season of Netflix. Maybe I'll just take in another current of pornography. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll pop a pill. Maybe I'll, I'll keep just scrolling on social media instead of actually sitting down in silence and stillness with the Lord, presenting my agony before him, presenting my suffering and my hurt before him. But what would it look like what might it sound like if you prayed a prayer like Elijah just prayed? Maybe it would sound like this. Maybe you would pray, God, why is it never enough? It being my personality, I'm just never enough for people. My looks, me, 
Why am I never enough? Why do, maybe this would be it, maybe why do I struggle with anxiety when other people around me seem fine? God, why did you take this from me? Why are you withholding this from me? Why did you take them from me? Don't you want me to be happy, God? Do I even matter to you? Or to anyone else for that matter? God, if I was gone, would anybody even notice? God, why does no one get me? Why do I feel so alone all the time? Why do I have such a hard time making friends? God, if you loved me, things would have happened differently. That would be getting your suffering before the Lord. Psalm 56, eight says, you have taken account of my wanderings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? As he's listening and he's attentive, bring your stuff to him. Bring your suffering before the Lord. Matthew 5, verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So when we get our suffering before the Lord, we're met with compassion. But what's next for Elijah? Elijah had to be patient through the wilderness. So the Lord's answer to our suffering is always kindness and compassion. But there's also often a wilderness journey that we get to go on. In 1 Kings 19, verse 7, it says, The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. So just a few really exciting things about this, this passage. So verse 7 says, the journey, meaning just it's an implied journey that the Lord has decided he's gonna take Elijah on. You don't get to pick your own journey. The Lord decides your journey. Uh, verse nine says, 40 days and 40 nights. The journey he goes on from point A to point B should take three or four days. The Lord made it take 40 days and 40 nights. And what we, what we take from that is that the Lord will lead him patiently wandering through this wilderness. And that's... That's a takeaway for us too. The Lord will lead you patiently wandering through a season of wilderness where it seems like seems aimless, honestly. It seems like you're just floating out there in, in, in you know, an expansive, vast wilderness. Verse seven, back to verse seven, it says, eat for the journey is too much for you. That's kind of confusing to me. Eat for the journey is too much for you. I would think it would make more sense if it said eat or the journey is too much for you. Otherwise, the journey is too much for, or else the journey is too much for you. But it says eat for the journey is too much for you. So he's saying, eat, because you'll have to eat or you'll never make it. I'm gonna, this miraculous food, after a second dose of this divine food that I'm baking, this fresh bread for you, you're gonna miraculously march for 40 days and 40 nights nonstop, and it will be too much for you. So the Lord is planning on wearing him out. The Lord will wear you out. The Lord will wear the you out of you. So that by the time that you reach the mountain of God, you're absolutely certain that all you're bringing to the mountain of God is dependent weakness. All that you bring to the relationship is dependent weakness, and that's what he's doing for Elijah right here. So he's wearing the Elijah out of Elijah. We know that wilderness is hard. It represents long suffering. It requires a lot of time to go anywhere. It, it's designed to humble us and tear away our pride. It burns away superficial first world problems. It has a way of reordering our priorities. Wilderness is spacious and lonely, and wilderness is unique. So ouch is often very universal. The thing, like the sensation of pain is pretty much universally understood, but a wilderness journey is unique to the person going through it. So if, we, if you and I stood together on, on the border of a wilderness, and we said, we're gonna go from point A to point B. It's gonna take two days to go from the bottom of the mountain to the top of the mountain. And you set out the first day, and then I go up the second day. 
We would go from the same spot to the, to the same spot, but our, our journey through that wilderness might be very different as we go. You might encounter a very different wilderness than I encounter, and that's, that's one of the things that we can learn about wilderness. So where, have you considered that your wilderness might be the Lord's chosen path? The wilderness that you're in right now, is that the Lord's chosen path for you the way it was for Elijah? Are you allowing the wilderness to do what wilderness does, to humble and refocus you for the things of God? Are you letting wilderness empty the you out of you and increase your desperation for God? So wandering through the wilderness, we're gonna see it refines Elijah's prayer. This is super cool. So after he reaches Mount Horeb, it says in verse nine, and the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Sounds a little bit like he just dodged the question, or at least the question behind the question. So um, there's a question behind the Lord's question. It's like uh, last week I was power washing my neighbor's fence. He hired me to do some odd jobs, and he had me power wash front and back of his fence. Honestly, it took forever. And about halfway through, he came up and said, hey, Brandon, kill, kill the power. He wanted to talk to me about something. And he said, Brandon, what kind of boards are those? Obviously wanting to quiz my extensive knowledge of lumber. <clears throat> so I said, Jeff, those are wood boards. And he said, <laughs> he said, yeah, that's true. You're not wrong. But more specifically, what kind of wood do you think that is? Tree wood. And we had a little giggle, and then he explained to me, yeah, it, was, it is true. It, it's actually local white cedar, and, and it's superior qualities. It's the superior material for that application. And I knew that was the question. I knew he, anytime somebody asks what kind of wood that is, they're saying, what, what characteristics and properties make it the right choice for the application? And that's kind of what the Lord is saying. So there's a question behind the Lord's question. He's saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why did you leave your post is the question behind the question. You've had death threats before, and you didn't abandon the work and run away in fear. So what's causing you to freak out now? So if we're going to understand Elijah's reply as anything more than what it kind of sounds like is just this petulant, like, whining complaint, we need to take a look at where he is. So he's, he's at Mount Horeb. He's at the mountain of God. This is, this is actually Mount Sinai. This is the place where the Lord appeared to Moses in the form of the burning bush. This is the place where God uh, gave Moses the Ten Commandments. This is the place where the Lord actually formed the covenant between himself and Israel. And Elijah would know that. And he's saying, Elijah's saying, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, the covenant I've spent my life trying to restore them to, the covenant you made with Moses in this very spot. I'm standing on the soil where Moses heard you say, you do not let the guilty go unpunished. Well, look around, God. They're going unpunished. They're going unpunished. Ahab and Jezebel are the sitting powers in the land. They're exceedingly wicked and unrepentant, and they're after my life. So I did my part, God. Where are you? He's, what he's saying here, this is a faith crisis. He's saying everything that I've known to be true about God, that you will not let the guilty go unpunished, which you said to Moses as he stood right where I'm standing. Everything I've known to be true about God is in conflict with everything I'm experiencing. That's a wound. That's a faith crisis. Have you had an experience like that where everything, all of your senses are telling you that everything that you've known to be true about God is a lie? Whew. That's heavy. 
He says, I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Here he's saying, essentially, what's the use? Why would I go back? Nothing's working. Nothing's ever going to change. So wandering through the wilderness, his refined Elijah's prayer from being just, ouch, take my life, I'm done. It's, it, the wilderness has refined his prayer into, God, I thought I knew who you were. I thought I could trust you. I thought you were good. You said you work all things out for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose, and I loved you. But right here is really bad. And the wilderness has a way of doing that. The wilderness has a way of stripping away the surface and bringing the real thing up, this like faith crisis, bedrock level, God, who are you? What's true about you? So if we'll be patient through the wilderness, it will expose our deepest needs. Are you willing to wander? That's a good question. Are you just willing to wander through a wilderness? Wandering is slow, right? You can't wander in a hurry. How do you wander in a hurry? There's a guy who wanders uh, through Gray's Lake in the morning. If you live in Gray's Lake, you may have seen him, but he's just out there often just wandering. He looks up at the, at the sky, and he's just wandering. And it's a little bit alarming when you see it at first. It's like, is that guy okay? What's he looking at up there? But he's just wandering. And as you watch him for just a, just a second, you, you start to realize that's a really compelling pace. I wish I went at that pace. We wander because we can't rush healing, right? You can't rush healing a deep wound. It takes like four to six weeks to heal a broken bone. We try and like rush through healing. We, we get hurt and then we think we'll just like pray and feel better. It takes time, man. And I want to just invite you to wander through the wilderness with me, with Elijah. Just wander. Just go slow. Don't rush a conclusion about what happened to you. As you look back on maybe a, a wake of carnage and destruction from a hard season, don't quickly turn around and say, well, let's make a quick list of everything that God just did there and all the things I'm gonna learn and my takeaways. Uh, make a list if you want to, but write it in pencil. And let the Lord continue to add to it for the next several years because probably everything you're seeing today is at least wrong or incomplete. The Lord will add to it. He'll just strike some stuff out. We've got to be willing to wander to get that experience. So a willingness to wander says, I'm hurting, but I'm still willing to look for and follow the Lord. Willingness to wander says, I'll let it keep hurting, and I'll hold out for deep healing. Henry Nouwen says, when we become aware that we do not have to escape our pains, but that we can mobilize them into a common search for life, those very pains and are transformed from expressions of despair into signs of hope. So where are you gonna choose to wander in your life? Um, Practically, you probably can't do it in one hour once. You probably can't wander, that'd be wandering too quickly. So maybe you need to do it regularly, like repeating intervals, like maybe even like once a week, maybe even take like a whole day. We should call that something, a Sabbath. We should, that's a good idea, we should do that. Maybe that's even a scriptural command. We should Sabbath at a wandering pace with the Lord, just where you're just taking a day to set aside work, to set aside obligations and distractions and say, God, I'm wandering with you through my wilderness, the wilderness that I'm in today. 
and I'm allowing you to bring to the surface even some deep wounds and some suffering. So maybe Sabbath, sabbatical, and you hear me say the word sabbatical and you're like, cool, that's great for you. Your boss knows what that word means. My boss has, I have any idea what that word means. And that may be true for you, but I bet you get some kind of vacation from your job. If you get two weeks of vacation, what would it look like if you decided to set aside one of those weeks and say, I'm gonna sabbatical. Instead of going and doing like vacation-y things and going to the you know, amusement park or whatever, going boating or hiking, or whatever you might do, can you set aside time and like find some books, good, like deep, meaty books on the subject that you're wrestling through and go to the library? Go like find a place where you're just gonna be alone with the Lord, you're just gonna wander slowly. What about evening walks after dinner? Well, it's nice outside, like, Instead of turning the TV on, what if you went out for a walk? Or what if you opened a book and just read for a while at a wandering slow pace? What about journaling? For me, that's, that's one of the ways that I wander with the Lord. I just, I'm not in a rush. I'm not trying to get it out really super quick. I'm just going slow. What else, God? Okay, I write that down. Okay, what else am I going through? I write that down. Uh, what about a retreat? So my wife and I got the chance to go on a retreat. It was called the Rest Retreat, and it was in the North Mountains of Georgia, which just sounds beautiful, and it was beautiful. And it was just three days just set aside to kind of go slow with the Lord. And, and a lot of really great work was done in, in our hearts, but it took that space and it took that pace uh, to find that. So what if we demonstrated our willingness to be healed by wandering patiently through the wilderness instead of resigning to or running from our sufferings? That's what Elijah had to do. He had to get his suffering before the Lord and be met with compassion. He had to be patient through the wilderness, letting it expose his deepest needs. And next, Elijah needed to engage with the voice. And this is where it starts to get exciting. So all of that has so far kind of led up to a, a reward. It's been hard, and now it's going to be, it's still hard, but it's, it's going to be really cool and, and exciting. So his faith crisis, Elijah's complaint, he's expressing everything that I've known to be true about God is in conflict with my experience right now. So what's true about God? That's where he is. And God's about to clear things up. So in verse 11, it says, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind, after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak down over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? This is super cool. So I want to contrast the word versus the voice. Did you see in verse 9 it said, so this is the same, the Lord's asking the same question twice. The first time, verse 9 says, the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? The second time in verse 13, then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? That's implying Intimacy. That's implying presence. The voice, the whisper is where God is here. So, so that's where the removed is becoming the tangible. The distant, is, the abstract is becoming the immediate. That's where the eminent God is becoming the imminent, revealing himself to me intimately. That's the word becoming flesh. Like that is a picture of Jesus right there. And so, the, so it said the Lord wasn't in the wind, the earthquake, the fire, but then the gentle whisper came. Even, even the word of the Lord. So that's like, to us, that's like a remarkable idea. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. But that's kind of like Elijah's 
job. Like, that's pretty normal for him. The word of the Lord came to Elijah, and then he went and did this. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and then he went and did this. And often he even spoke the word of the Lord, an Old Testament prophet. That was his occupation, was speaking the word of the Lord. So when the word of the Lord asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's, it's awesome, but it's not, like, brand new. It's not something he's never experienced before. Even the wind the fire, the earthquake. I'm sure it's alarming to be on the receiving end of it. Could you imagine being inside of a cave during an earthquake and there's like mountain on top of you? It'd be horrifying. But it's not truly like otherworldly, whoa, what was that? Until the whisper shows up. He came into the wilderness looking for something he had never seen before and he's finding it right here. Super cool. So as an aside, I just want to point out that the reward of the wilderness is intimacy with God. The reward of the wilderness and, and, and being patient and hanging on and, and enduring and suffering through the wilderness as hard as it can be is intimacy with God. And I got to tell you, like, with trembling and trepidation, I say, I'll take the wilderness because I want the voice. That's what I want, man. So the voice of the Lord corrects and directs. So in verse 15, it says, The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel someplace, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet... I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. That's a bit of a spanking from the Lord. That's a bit of a firm correction right there. So he's saying, go back, Elijah, which is literally what repent means. Repent, the word means turn around, go back, turn away from. And he's got to turn away from and go back. He's got to walk away from his savior complex thinking that he's God's only option, right? So Elijah gets humbled right here. The Lord's gracious and compassionate and corrective, and he's humbling Elijah. He's saying, essentially, did you think my plans were thwarted? Did you think, like, if you leave and you wander out into this wilderness, like, I'm just out of luck? Did you think you were all that I had? I've got 7,000 people set aside that you don't know anything about, son. It's my grace that I anointed you at all. It's my grace that I called you at all. It's my grace that I allowed you to stray into this wilderness without just killing you. Like, I didn't call you out into this wilderness. You wandered off mission, and it's my grace so far. All of it has been grace. So he's corrective, but he's still tender. The Lord is answering all of his concerns. Not only did he impart his immediate presence in the whisper and the voice, he's also addressing all of the concerns that Elijah brought to him. And he says, go anoint Jehu, Hazael, Elisha. But... He's still firmly corrective. He's saying, be humbled and go back. So Elijah had to engage with the voice and resolve to obey. So you can obey. Here's the the deal. You can obey without having all of your questions answered. Let's just, if there's no other takeaway from today, let me just say that. You can obey without having all of your questions answered. That's what Elijah had to do. He had to start. He had to just obey. He had some answers. He had three names and a go back. He had three names and a direction. But what's still true is Ahab is still in power. He had to go back before Ahab was dethroned. Jezebel's still trying to kill him. All the same problems are tangibly reality is still there, right? But he still had to obey. So let's engage with the two parts of what we're saying. We're saying engage with the voice and resolve to obey. So the first, if we're going to break those ideas down, what's the first thing that we're going to look at? How do we engage with the voice? 
Well, you have to lean in and quietly listen to hear a whisper, right? I wonder if we could do that together. Could we make it kind of like, like an interactive sermon? Would you lean forward in your seat? Everybody's going to do it. So you won't look weird if you do it. You'll, look, you'll actually look weird if you don't do it. <clears throat> so we're leaning forward. Let me just ask, like, as you're, as you're in this posture, what if this was always your spiritual posture? What if you were always just leaning forward, listening quietly for the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit? Great job. You can lean back. Uh, another way that we engage with the voice is God's word. So we read scripture, and I, it's kind of confusing because I just distinguished the word from the voice in Elijah's experience. And that's true in, you know, in an Old Testament prophet's experience. That may be true, but in our, our, you know, our, our day, we would, we would engage with the Lord's voice primarily through his word. So don't be alarmed by that. But there's a specific way that we can engage with God's word to hear his voice, and it's by doing that spiritually, by leaning in and listening quietly, asking him to illuminate the words on the page, to, to, to engage the faith that this word that I'm reading, the scripture that I'm reading is living and active, and God's got a word for me today. So God's word is one way that we engage with the voice, and another way is in community. But, so this is a great community. Other, other areas of community may be great, may, may not be, and one way that I just wanna caution you to watch out for, for blind guides uh, is just watch out. As you're listening for God's voice, watch out for blind guides. Um, there are well-meaning blind guides, people who mean well and love you and want to offer you help and support. They're very compassionate to your suffering. They, they think they have a good idea. They think they can answer some of your questions, but then they offer you something that's really distinctly unhelpful. It's like the other day, my wife was in the kitchen, and I think she was cooking and cleaning at the same time. It was like one of those like she had extra arms kind of thing and she was a little stressed out, I could tell. I think we had some people coming over and I had a moment of rare clarity and I said, honey, is there anything I can do to help? And then my toddler, my four-year-old was like, before she had a chance to answer, he said, Caleb said, yeah, get a job and do your homework. <laughs> and we all stopped and had a good laugh and like the work stopped for a few minutes because we were just laughing about it. But he didn't mean to be sassy. He was just, he thought he had an answer to the question. He said, get a job and do your homework. And there are people like that in your life probably who think they are helping and they mean well, but they're distinctly unhelpful in what they're saying. So you may be talking to a coworker and sharing some of your deep hurt and suffering and they may say something like, you know what? The problem is you just married the wrong person. You should get out of that thing. Well-meaning blind guide. Or maybe you say, they might say something like, you know, you just need to focus on what makes you happy. Take a year of you. Take a whole year and be selfish. <laughs> Well-meaning blind guide. Or maybe they say something like, you know what? Prayers aren't really helpful. Keep, keep your thought. This is really popular on social media today, isn't it? To say something tragic happens, then people instantly jump to the comments and say, keep your thoughts and prayers. Contact your local congressman to make a difference today. Uh, maybe not even well-meaning, blind guide. So your, your guidance, your community is helpful in hearing God's voice to the degree that they're pointing you to Jesus and not just offering you a million little worldly fixes. So the other way, the other thing we need to look at is we're going to engage with the voice and we're going to resolve to obey. So we've got to resolve to obey, repent, go back. That's what Elijah had to do, right? So ask the question, what can I repent for? Personally, for me, if you remember my memoirs of this crappy season, uh, I had to repent for a savior complex, right? I had to repent for trying to keep everybody happy and manage everybody's experience, but there's something else that I had to repent for that the Lord revealed to me was idolatry. 
Actually, as I was reading that, that journal entry again, you might remember I said the phrase, bring it further, make it better. And that's a, that's a value of this church. That's a code statement. Like we've got a vision statement and code statements, and that's one of the code statements is that we're going to bring it further and make it better. And in itself, it's really, it's, a, it's an excellence value. We're just saying God is excellent, so he's worthy of excellence. If it's for God, it ought to be good. Like he's worthy of our first fruits, not our leftovers, right? So the, the, the value itself is really good. What was happening, the problem in that journal entry in that season was I was doing what human hearts do with things that are good. The value wasn't the problem. It was a good value. But I was worshiping it like an idol. That's what, that's what humans do with things that are good. We take good things and we turn them into an idol and we worship at them and we pour ourselves out to them and then they poison us and they ruin our lives. And that's what happened. So I needed to go back and repent for idolatry in that sense. And I only got that clarity, I only got that perspective after some wilderness after, honestly, during my sabbatical, like I had to step away and have some space and some time with the Lord to engage with the voice and listen to him reveal that that's what was going on. It was, it was really dark and hard, and it just felt like the, wrong, the right thing was the wrong thing until I got some space and some, some margin and some clarity. So what is it for you? Maybe uh, we would ask the question, where are you living like God, you're God's only option? Do you have a savior complex like Elijah did or like I did? Do you feel like you've got, to, you've got to show up, man? You've got to get it done with your finances, with your provision. Do you feel like no one else is coming, so I better do it? And you're forgetting what's true is your Heavenly Father's providing for all of your needs. Or maybe it is people-pleasing like me, like you're trying to keep everybody happy and manage all the things and, and keep all the plates spinning. Do you need to repent for that? Uh, maybe you need to repent for medicating. Maybe, maybe some of the things that I mentioned earlier, Netflix, pornography, things like that, there's some, some things that are just the Lord's been trying to, trying to nudge you about, and it's time to lay that thing down. Engage with the voice and resolve to obey. So we're landing the plane. We're finishing up. And um, we started out on my couch, right? You came to my house. We went and sat in the living room. We finished our coffee. Now it's time to go. We're going to go for a little walk together. We're going to go through uh, Central Park and Gray's Lake. If you've been there, you know the westmost side. There's like a, a jogging loop around the whole thing, and the westmost edge, there's these giant oak trees, and we're going to sit down underneath it. And I want to share with you. Again, this is super vulnerable. It's from my journal, but here's another journal entry from about a month ago that I want to share with you. And it came in the form of a prayer, or sorry, of a poem. So we're going to sit down. Let's pretend this is the ground. You're sitting on the ground and you're leaning back instead of to a chair against an oak tree, okay? So picture the scene. This is a poem about God's grace. To be covered by his grace and sheltered here below, like to glory in the shade beneath this ancient oak. We're shielded now within its care from fitful storm and foul air, this bark and dirt my earthen chair, I watch the green things grow. And far afield I see them striving, men of sport for sport contriving, driven mad by their own driving, and I'm sickened by the show. So here I'll sit, and here I'll stay, where songs delight and free things play, where beauty-laden branches sway, and time is sweet and slow. It's here. Beneath his grace I feel The deepest wounds begin to heal And stillness prove his mercies real I am sheltered here below 
that's the same journal entry as my memoirs of this crappy season. And the difference really, the biggest difference between, between those two journal entries and those two perspectives is a couple of years of wilderness, wandering with the Lord, bringing my suffering to him, receiving his compassion, doing my best to engage with the voice and resolve to obey where I, where I think I heard him. So which of those things is your next step today? Do you need to bring your suffering before the Lord? Have you just not been praying the real thing? It's time to get your suffering out before the Lord and, and be met with his compassion. Do you need to endure and be patient through a long wilderness? Allow it to strip away some of the pretense and bring to the surface some of the real bedrock, deep need issues? Do you need to engage with the voice and resolve to obey? Let's go with Elijah. Let's do it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we bring you our hurt. We bring you our suffering. We bring you our brokenness. You bind up the brokenhearted. And we bring you the hard questions. We bring you all our seasons. We bring you our wilderness. It's lonely. And would you show us your compassion? Would you sustain my friends here? Would you direct them in their next steps? We trust that you've been speaking. And Holy Spirit, that's really the, the takeaway is we want to lean forward and listen for your Holy Spirit's voice. Would you continue to speak and nudge? We just lay it all before you and surrender it all to you give you all the praise and all the glory. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being his witness in our generation, check out Fierce.Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast, available wherever you get your podcast from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.